Hello, and thanks for downloading episode five of This is US Sustainability from the US Sustainability Alliance. My name is Russell Goldsmith, and on this episode, we're focusing on soil health. And once again, we'll be hearing from guest farmers across North America, and I'm thrilled to say that both our interviews are with award winners. Uh, we'll be heading firstly to Cress in Texas to hear about a cotton farmer's pioneering approach to dryland farming. Then we're off to York County, Nebraska, to catch up with an organic farmer and hear about her soil health philosophy and the practices she's using to ensure her land is as sustainable and profitable as possible. But before all that, I'm thrilled to welcome to the podcast Professor Michelle Wander, a soil scientist and professor at the University of Illinois, where she is director of the Agroecology and Sustainable Agriculture Program. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Michelle, and thank you so much for joining us. Just for the benefit of our listeners, can you talk through your background and expertise within soil quality and stewardship? Uh, Sure. I have really worked on understanding soil stewardship for my entire career. I began working on actually international agricultural development and looking at the use of legumes because they fix nitrogen and how to actually improve the association between mycorrhiza and legumes so that that worked well around the world. And then I went and did my PhD and was very fortunate to go on and get some experience in Georgia. And now I'm at the University of Illinois, where I study soil management. And um, through working in lots of different places, getting experience in different farming systems and different soils and with different kinds of cropping systems, really come to appreciate that challenge of different farming systems and stewardship. Um, I've worked a lot on different kinds of frameworks including the U.S. Sustainable Ag Standard that is an ANSI standard, which means that it's connected to the trade association framework. And that's really interesting thinking about how to get sustainability frameworks that work well for all the different kinds of farms and farmers with different kinds of challenges facing them. And um, what, what are you looking forward to hearing about from our two guest farmers? When I've done case studies with farmers, I kind of look for understanding their constraints and then their their philosophies of management that you know you can see when people have well worked out tactics to navigate those issues and help them be mindful then they often set up systems and i'm a systems ecologist and think of agriculture as really a one of the most fascinating and challenging systems to study Okay, well, let's hear the first of those two interviews then. Uh, Last week, I was joined online from Cress in Texas by cotton farmer Barry Evans. Uh, Barry has recently been named 2021 Farmer of the Year by Field to Market. He was recognised for outstanding conservation efforts on his farm and leadership in advancing sustainable agriculture, which is why we were so delighted that he agreed to talk to us about some of the practices he's using. I started by asking Barry to give a quick introduction to his farm and the setup he has there, and to explain whereabouts in Texas he is based. I'm in uh, what we call the panhandle of Texas. It's up in the northwest region. We call it the high plains of Texas because we're at a fairly high altitude, about 1,100 meters. So we're a semi-arid area, and we also have some cool nights and hot days because of our altitude. If if you look on the map, you look look for Amarillo and Lubbock, Texas. We're right in the middle there is, is how you can find us. How long have you been farming there? I moved back to the farm in 1992. I graduated from college and and worked in industry for about eight years. And I moved back in 92 when the opportunity presented itself. 
And how big is the farm exactly? And what, what are you growing? I grow uh, cotton and grain sorghum and some wheat. I uh, have about 1,400 hectares. And, and like a, a lot of the people that we've been interviewing on this podcast series, you're another example of a family farm, aren't you? Yes, I am. I'm the third generation and my son will be the fourth. And actually, he's expecting his first child in January, which we're really excited about. And, and so maybe he'll love the farm as much as we do. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on, on that. Uh, now, back to the podcast. In our previous episode, we were talking about water conservation. And, and obviously, that naturally leads on to the topic of this episode, which we're focusing on soil health. I thought it'd be good to understand why both of these issues are so important to you. You know, it's a story I like to tell is is back really whenever I first started farming, we moved to the farm. My wife grew up in the city. She's a city girl. She's not a farm girl. And it was actually on a Sunday, we got out of church and we were changing clothes and getting ready for for lunch. And she made the comment. She said, the dirt's blowing outside. I said, you know, it's been 15 minutes. I knew better. And I kind of poo-pooed what she said. She said, you know, I'm not just a dumb city girl. I know when the dirt's blowing. And I looked out in it and it was. So I immediately got out and got on a tractor and we run what's called a, a rotary hoe to help break the crust. But it's too late then. You know, once that happened, the crop was already lost. And in 30 minutes, the crop's gone. And I decided at that point, there had to be a better way to do things. We had to make some changes because it's just so hard to, to stop that. And then the, the changes that we made, it was really geared to stop the soil erosion, stop that dirt. But it's worked out really well for our conservation and water efforts. And, and it's really been a good success story there. In terms of the water conservation within the area, is that an issue at the moment then, aside from like that environmental issue with the dust clouds? Is, is there any other things that impact it? Well, our, our area was uh, where the heart of the Dust Bowl was, which was one of the largest environmental disasters in the United States. And so we are very aware of dirt storms and we don't want to make that mistake again. And we're not. We're doing really a good job. And as we talk about water conservation, we pump irrigation water out of the Ogallala Aquifer. and. Uh, Ogallala is about a, a 450,000 square kilometers. It stretches from South Dakota down into uh, West Central Texas. It's, it's huge. And we're in the southern part of that. And, it's, and where we are, it's basically a non-replenishing aquifer. And in earlier days, it's been pumped since about the 20s or 30s, really after World War II in the 50s is when irrigation really took off. And just in that time, we've seen such massive declines in the aquifer. On my farm, when I moved back in 1992, I was about 80% irrigated. Today, I'm 14% irrigated. So a large part of my conservation effort is driven by that decline in the aquifer. And how do we make a living? How do we remain profitable and sustainable without the irrigation water? So taking that into account, and obviously that experience that you had with your wife those years ago, what's changes have you made to your farm since then? The real game changer that I made on my farm was no-till farming. Uh, no-till is a method of, of just not plowing, and which, which goes against the grain of farmers because we all like to run a tractor, but no-till is whenever we don't plow and we leave the stubble on the ground. What I've been doing is, is rotating grain sorghum or wheat with cotton. Cotton is a, a very drought-tolerant crop. It's why cotton is, is good in a semi-arid area like we have because it can withstand the heat and the dry weather, and it has a deep taproot. Where the sorghum is also a very drought-tolerant crop, we call it a water-sipping crop, 
but it has more of a fibrous root system and puts out more organic matter. So in combination, you kind of get both. Um, the cotton is more profitable than the grain sorghum, but the grain sorghum makes the cotton more profitable. So they work in tandem together, and it seems to be a good, uh, I hate to say the answer, but at least a start or, or you know, it's, it's of what we can do to, to farm without irrigation water. Can you go into a little bit more detail in terms of like, so if there is no till, how does that impact on the soil and the moisture as well? Whenever you plow, um, you're breaking up the soil structure. You're burning off that organic matter a little bit quicker and also losing some carbon out of the soil that way. By not plowing, you leave that trash. It really does two different things. One is it, just like mulch, whenever you mulch a garden, whenever the rain falls, it hits that trash and it helps break up the raindrops. When rain just hits bare ground, you know, rain's falling rapidly and it really sears that ground off where if you have organic matter or trash on top of the ground, it'll break that rainfall and help the water infiltration rate considerably over conventionally tilled ground. And also we don't run water off the field near as much, which also helps to hold your nutrients all in the field instead of washing them off. The other thing is whenever you plow the ground, you actually plow moisture out every time. So no-till, you both conserve the water that's in the ground and help, help capture more rainfall and infiltrate. And then that helps with the wind erosion and the water erosion also. So it, it's really a win-win all the way around. And aside from the no-till, are there any other practices or, or techniques that, that you've embraced over the years? What really made no-till work are GMO crops. Weed control is a, is a big issue. If you don't control weeds, you don't make a crop at all. And that's some technology that helped a lot. Other technology made a, a real game changer too with irrigation is we use what we call low energy precision application or LEPA. And instead of spraying the water out on the ground, we just bubble it in a small area between the rows of the crop. And we're achieving about a 97% efficiency with that. So it's it has really helped our, our water efficiency a lot. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, now, Barry, before we let you go, is, is there anything that you want our listeners to to take away from this particular podcast? You know what I try to remember and, and what's important as a farmer? You know, if, if you take care of the land, the land will take care of you. There's people that ask me all the time about the trade-off between economics and environment, and it's not. I found this the opposite. If you use good environmental practices, you take care of the land, I really make more money. It's better economics. So it really works all the way around. There's not a trade-off. And the land is our future. Any farmer, you want to take care of your land and you want to make it better for the next generation. That's tremendous. Uh, Barry Evans, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you, Russell. Uh, Michelle, what um, struck you about what Barry had to say in that interview? Yeah, um, was really nice to hear about him and his commitment to his multi-generational farm. And, and as many farmers that I've worked with, his commitment is connected to the desire to have that land be maintained by family farmers into the future. His comments about cresting and uh, really this sort of original observation of wind erosion is really telling about those challenges and his strategy to protect soil and increase water conservation was really interesting. So he's really managing around those challenges. And it was wonderful to hear him mention particular aspects of his system design, which included rotating crops that had different rooting characteristics and rooting strategies. And so I kind of hear in his comments a more advanced kind of designer in his system. He mentioned for him that important 
tactics have been use of no-till. And I, that's something I see with lots of growers and appreciate that in the last couple of decades, we've really had improved equipment that does a better job for farmers. So some of the original early constraints for no-till where they didn't have great stand establishment, some of those issues have really been overcome with planting equipment that's that goes with that. And he cited the use of GMOs as, as for him, a really important technology. And that's because he doesn't have to till to kill weeds. And so then that allows him to keep the residues on the surface. So he talked about that interception. Something I guess I would call out to folks, and because I think when we talk about erosion, often people think we're referring to water erosion. And he did mention that. But more and more everywhere, even where I live and work in Illinois, we're having periods of significant drying and a lot of soil movement and soil loss due to wind erosion. And so he's managing both. He's caught between a wind erosion and a water erosion problem and talked about reducing his reliance on irrigation and increasing his water use efficiency. And for him, for his constraints, those are really fantastic metrics of successful stewardship in my mind. Great. Well, let's hear from our second guest farmer. This time we headed to York County in Nebraska, uh, where I spoke online to Amy Brook, who has recently been named 2021 Organic Farmer of the Year by the Organic Trade Association. And uh, like Barry earlier, I asked her to begin by giving us a little insight into her background. First off, I just want to say thank you to you and and others in USSA for your efforts in sustainability and for this podcast and opening up this forum for us to have this conversation. Thank you so much. I'm a sixth generation farmer and my family farms are located in East Central Nebraska. Early on, I developed a great passion for farming thanks to my father and I love math and science. So I got a degree in ag engineering, worked in industry for a little while. My husband, who I actually met in college in agronomy, class. Um, I partnered up with him and we, we were down in Brazil for about six years doing production ag down there. And we were able to get into different consulting projects in South America and some other countries and continents, which was really exciting because I just have such a love for agriculture. It was pretty sad story. My father passed away pretty suddenly and that um, caused me to come back to the family farm. I always wanted to farm with him and now my husband and I are farming for him. So we're back on the family farm and we have recently in the past um, half decade converted all of our farmland to organic production. So that's been an exciting change as we look to, you know, always continuously learn and, and do different things on our farm. Actually, I should mention that it's all irrigated as well. We're in a portion of Nebraska that we can access uh, irrigation water. And so some of the crops um, that we grow in our farm are food grade corn. So we grow white and blue corn. That's for chips and tortillas. Uh, we grow some soybeans for, for tofu markets. And we grow some small grains, wheat and barley, um, and also alfalfa, field peas. So we really like to add diversity with our crops into our farm. We should get the name of your farmer plugged. Sure. Our farm's called Cyclone Farms, actually. How big is it in terms of acreage? And yeah, we're, we're nearing that 2,500 acre mark. So um, we love um, management. We love getting additional folks involved in the operation. So we have a great group of people. Our team is, is wonderful and contributes every day to, to the mission of our family farm. Well, 
Listen, I had a look on your website before um, we recorded this, obviously doing a little bit of research. And in the about section, this was really interesting, obviously, given the, the nature of, of what we're um, due to talk about today. And so it says, and I'm, I'm just going to read this that, uh, for the benefit of our listeners, because this was off the site. It says, our farm outside the box approach is all about harnessing the unique properties of the land to ensure it is the most sustainable, profitable and environmentally friendly as possible. And then it goes on to say, as we know that the key to success is all in the soil. So as I said, that couldn't be more appropriate given the, the topic that we're talking about. So let's pick it up from there. Can you just explain why soil health is so important to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I really feel um, as a farmer and also an organic farmer that soil health and soil balancing is basically our number one defense against all plant stresses. So those plant stresses are can be insects, that can, they can be drought, they can be disease. But having that soil balance is really critical and a foundational in order to um, help mitigate some of those challenges. And is there a particular process that, that you follow in your farming um, techniques? We follow the, the Albrecht-Kinsey method and really the, the overarching principles of that um, soil balancing method are feed the soil and let the soil feed the plant. So we're really looking at breaking down soil balancing in three components. So that's going to be the physical component, the physical structure, the chemical structure, and that biological structure. So all three of those are incredibly important in order to really reduce those stresses that I was mentioning before. So we we spend a lot of time in soils classes in the off season learning about um, different ways to efficiently balance the soil in those three elements. And so how does that lead into, you know, the practices that you're using to achieve soil balance and, and health? We do annual soil samples. And what we're doing on our farm is um, we've used an electroconductivity sled. And so that allows us to understand the different polygons and different regions of the soil types versus just looking at our soil like a checkerboard. So then once we have those individual soil analysis from those polygons, we're able to distribute more efficiently and effectively the precision application of nutrients. And so we're not only balancing the macro portion of the soil, the macronutrients, we're looking at that next round, which is the micro uh, nutrient balance, as well as trace elements. So really trying to put the right nutrients in the right spot in order to drive that ultimate balance. And again, you know, just kind of looking at it from a bigger picture, if the soil's healthy, then again, it can mitigate some of these stresses and you kind of look at it like your body. If your body's healthy, you're going to be a little bit more resilient when the stresses of life come at you. I love that analogy. That's really good. Um, Amy, what you're talking about here is, is this what's described as uh, zone sampling? Is that right? Yeah, zone sampling. Once we are able to achieve the polygons of the soil, and we're able to do that through the zone sampling, um, because of the irregular shape of the soil in the field, it's not necessarily in that checkerboard pattern, at least in our soils, we find that there's just a handful of different polygons. So when we are looking at getting soil samples, it's a reduced number that we have to pull. So economically, we can do that every year in order to get that pulse point on our field, the entire field annually. So then we can really fine tune the soil balance and and know and chart that out where we're going and where we've been to see that incremental improvement. Improvement. Uh, in our previous interview, we heard from cotton farmer Barry Evans talking about the Ogallala Aquifer, and obviously you're 600 miles north northeast, roughly, of Barry, but you're accessing that same source. How reliant are you on the water it provides? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I know it's it's a tremendous underground body of water. And fortunately, due to that, we're able to just supplement some of the deficiency we might get with rainfall. So primarily, we rely on rainfall in our area. But again, we do use the aquifer to supplement. We have irrigation systems, mostly center pivots that we're trying to deploy the right amount of water in the right spot. And, and we have soil moisture probes to give us the intelligence in order to, to do that so we don't overwater. But One thing about the aquifer in our area, it is a tremendous size and body of underground water, but the last two years, we've been able to regenerate about four inches additional water into that aquifer. So it's not something that just always goes down in our area. It's actually on the rise the last few years. Now, just to finish off, Amy, as as well as farming in Nebraska, I know your consulting work means you get to work on improving soil health across North America and internationally uh, too. Can you just share a couple of recent projects that you've worked on and and anything else actually that you think might be of interest when it comes to soil health for our our listeners? I really feel like soil health is truly the common denominator and it's allowed for me and and my husband to work in many different areas. Um, We worked in Brazil where the soil there was bright red and had a pH of of four. And then one of the more recent projects we worked in was um, uh, converting a citrus grove um, that had recently unfortunately died due to citrus greening into a corn silage for local dairies, more of a revitalization community project. And for just a frame of reference, that soil had a pH of eight. So, you know, there's just different tactics and techniques that we that we leverage in order to bring the soil back to an equilibrium, if you will. Um, and the same equation with the Kinsey-Albrecht um, method allows for us to do that. That is that common denominator. We're looking at intentional soil balancing. So it's taken us on a journey really across the whole world and then kind of back to my hometown. But um, I just can't say enough about intentionally balancing your soil, knowing what you're trying to get at, and then working towards that goal. Just in, in general, I think in terms of agriculture, you know, there's many ways to farm. And I think that continuous improvement and just always trying to learn something new every day is really bode well for, for me on, on my farms and, and in my life and realizing that there's not one way to do something and you can't always directly apply what you learn on somebody's farm. You might need to tweak it, but having that conversation, sharing information and the trial and error and the innovation really um, helps us to improve agriculture and make it long lasting for the next generation. That's a uh, excellent message to finish on. So thank you so much for that. And also congratulations once again on your award. But for now, um, Amy Brooke, uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to This Is US Sustainability. Thank you so much. Michelle, we were so pleased to have two award-winning farmers on the show. Any thoughts on the things that Amy spoke about? Yeah, well, her um, interview was really interesting to me because I, over time in my own work, have really been asked about soil balancing because it's a bit controversial or has been with some because different people in different soils haven't found it to be useful. And I've worked with and really interviewed and studied some of the people who are following the Albrecht Kinsey method. And some of them are really, I would consider master farmers where they're really thoughtfully applying those tactics, but they've drilled down to work in a very nuanced way for very particular cropping systems. And I heard that in in Amy's thinking and, and also in Barry's where, you know, they're really managing a particular resource and constraints. And she it sounds like has had the opportunity to work 
in different soil systems to appreciate how you might stack up your problems in different ways in different locales. So for her farm, which it's clear she's using kind of a classic rotation of crops, which is a tactic that is used to break disease and pest cycles and build soil fertility. So the legumes that she uses in her system are really important. And she talked about testing every single year, which is very, very unusual. A lot of farmers don't test every year because they don't apply fertilizer every year. They might fertilize in front of their most heavy feeding crop. My sense is that for them to test every year, they really are thinking about different nutrient demands of different crops. Um, which do vary. I mean, rotation really includes waxing and waning of stocks of different nutrients based on the different kinds of crops. And that's something that both the farmers you talk to, you know, they're they're managing systems with and thinking about the different phases of their rotation. So that that was very interesting. Something that I think she talked about managing macronutrients and micronutrients. And for very high value systems where they're really getting very high yields, and that would be the case for irrigated lands. So in in many ways, we look for irrigated lands because they can basically manage water and prevent uh, water stress. They tend to be our highest yielding and can pay with very high precision management. So she's doing this precision management with zone sampling using electrical conductivity to basically delineate regions that would need more or less nutrition. So that's a you know, indicative of very high-end management. I didn't hear from her about a lot of problems, although she did notice or note that they were relying on the aquifer and they are using center pivot irrigation, which is not precision irrigation. My guess is they may move to that, although it sounds like in her experience that she didn't seem to feel water constrained. I think when we look at, you know, they're, they're both farming in the high plains and that whole area really is facing, you know, water limitation and going to do so more. So it was interesting, the difference between the two, you know, and their attitudes about water. It didn't come to the fore for her. Well, just to finish off, Michelle, perhaps you could sum up why you think it's important that we share these stories about how U.S. farmers are managing their soil health and, and also what you hope our listeners take away from this episode. Yeah, I think that they're a nice pairing in a way because they have some things that are in common and things that are very different. So in that sense of the differences, there are lots of different kinds of farming systems and farm operations that can use different tactics to help them both verify and and demonstrate to the consumer and the public that they are using good practices. So we see them receiving awards from two very different organizations, right? The field-to-market system helps people in the food value chain audit their stewardship focused mostly on environmental performance, but it does also have some social dimensions with labor provisions in it. You know, and by engaging in that, you know, Barry, that that's helpful to him, not only to confirm or communicate to the public his intent and, and compliance with a certain set of standards, it also helps him keep track and over time do better and better by being in kind of a, a learning community. And the same is true for Amy, where she's certified through the organic standards and also through consulting, which is interesting. You know, so that's a that's sort of two different tethers that she's using to help to be reflective and, and tracking and reporting what she's doing and tie both of them to a very grounded space. And that's very common for 
people who own and manage land that's individual family farms and multi-generational farms. So I think those are things that stood out to me to track and sort of respect people's efforts to be grounded in a place and have that be not only successful now, but successful into the future. That's great. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat to me, uh, Michelle. And thanks also again to my two guests, Barry Evans and Amy Brooke. If you want to find out more about the US Sustainability Alliance, please visit the website, which is thesustainabilityalliance.us, where you'll find plenty more information on all the topics we've discussed in this episode. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed the show, please do give us a positive rating and review. But for now, from me, Russell Goldsmith, thanks for listening and goodbye.